Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the International Biodynamic Guild podcast. I'm your host, Will Bratton, and today we're joined by Wendy Lillier. Wendy's been working with biodynamic principles for approximately 40 years when she began producing Valeda and Walla remedies in Johannesburg. In 2000, she moved to Cape Town and shortly after purchased the Blue, oh, I'm gonna, I'll, let, I'll let Wendy pronounce it, a biodynamic farm in Wellington from Jean Malherbe a single woman farmer who started farming there in the 1960s, the first biodynamic farm in South Africa. In 2005, the farm received the first Demeter certification in South Africa. Apart from farming, Wendy also works voluntarily in the Biodynamic Association of South Africa. You can find Wendy listed as a Biodynamic Federation Advisor at biodynamicadvisor.org or at her site, blaublaumetzglyph.com, spelled B-L-O-U-B-L-O-M, M-E-T-J-I-E-S-K-L-O-O-F dot com. Wendy, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Will. <laughs> would, would you please pronounce your farm name? I, I knew I was going to butcher it. Yes. Yeah. You need to be an Afrikaans, African-speaking person to be able to say that, but it's Blow Blomakis Kloof. Blomakis Kloof. Yeah. Or you, if you're Dutch-speaking, then you can say it as well. Excellent. So, um, yeah, how and when did you find biodynamics? Tell us that story. Sure. Thank you, Will. Um, okay, so my, my journey first started with anthroposophy, I think, um, when I left university and just needed a job and looked around and there happened to be a position uh, available in a laboratory in Johannesburg, which is where I was, where I was studying, um, at a company called Farm Natura, and I took that job simply because I needed to earn some money. And that company happened to be making the Valida and the Vala remedies. And that's where I first encountered um, the philosophy of anthroposophy. There was somebody there who was doing study groups, and I joined those. And of course, it really interested me tremendously. It was very much like finally having found an answer to all the questions I had um, as a student and as a youth. Um, and I was really taken by it. Um, and then uh, as time went on, I became more and more involved with the production of the Valida and the Vala remedies at this company. And I was also sent by this company overseas to go and work in the head office in Germany of the Valida and the Vala companies. And there I encountered the farms where they were uh, producing the herbs for the remedies. And that's where my journey in biodynamics started and the introduction started. Wonderful. Uh, can you tell us uh, what, what you know of the history of biodynamics in South Africa? Yes, sure. So um, biodynamics has been around in South Africa, I think, for about 70-odd years. It started initially with the Campiel movement. There are a number of Campiel organizations or, or um, places in South Africa. I think there's about five or six of them. Um, and, of course, as you probably and – you and your listeners probably know, these are always also farms – um, and biodynamic farms. Then we also had um, Alex Podolinsky, who is a well-known biodynamic 
initiator or trainer for biodynamics who traveled the world. He was met, he he started in Australia and was probably solely responsible for for really spreading biodynamically biodynamics quite famously in in Australia. Um, he also came to South Africa and, in fact, worked initially with Jean Malherbe, who was the owner of the farm I now run, I now work on. Um, and he taught her how to make the preps, how to spray the preps. He showed he actually uh, had, a, had a stirring machine built for stirring the preparations and uh, worked quite extensively. And, in fact, we still use a lot of his notes and his indications here in in this country. Um, so, and then of course, since then we've had um, a number of farms who 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 farm biodynamically. Uh, the next Blomikisakloof was of course the first farm, and then uh, close after that, closely after that, we had Johan Reinecke, who you recently interviewed, uh, who started a wine farm in. Stellenbosch. He was also tutored by Jeanne uh, in, into biodynamics. And then, of course, since then, there have been many more. Awesome. Uh, tell us about the culture of preparation making in South Africa. Yes. Um, so Podolinsky was the one who first showed us, showed Jeanne or, or started the prep making. And in fact, he did them on Bloblomikis Kloof. And this this has continued. We still make the preparations here, and we fact, and we supply most of the other farms with the preparations. Anybody who uses them, there have been a number of other farms who who have made some preparations, but basically it has stayed here on on Blomikis Kloof. We've also, over the years, we traditionally have a prep making day every year on on. Um, where we invite members of the association or just the general public to come and join us and help to make the preparations and then also to learn about them. And what we have done in the past is invited experts from Europe or Australia or New Zealand to come out and to lead this process. So over the years, I must say, we've I think we've learned quite a lot. I think our preparations in this country are, are, are good, are good quality. We have a lot of background. We have a lot of knowledge. Um, so from that point of view, I must say we, 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 are, we are blessed. It sounds like the real center of, of uh, preps in Africa. Um, are, do you distribute beyond South Africa? Yes. In fact, we have now um, there's a, we have farm. We have a very big sugarcane farm in Mozambique that uh, is converting to Demeter. Or, if I'm not wrong, I think they have just recently obtained their Demeter certification. But they uh, buy the preparations from us. We send to Malawi, to Zimbabwe. So yes, we're going through to the rest of Africa as well. That's great. Um, are there, uh, is there anyone working with um, alternatives to the classic preps that you're familiar with? Uh, are there any examples here, here in North America? Uh, there are some, some that are making preps from the North American bison. Is there, is there anything um, uh, more geographically uh, specific to uh, South Africa that you, you may be using or may know of people using? 
Yes, this is a, a question that that keeps coming, keeps cropping up. Uh, as long as I've been involved with biodynamics and the preparations, this keeps coming and people say, why are we not using indigenous plants? Why are we using only European plants to make the preparations? Why are we bringing um, stags' bladders in from Europe when we have our own animals here and so on? Um, my response generally to that has been and still is that, um, you know, we, we can grow the European plants here. They grow quite easily. Um, it's possible to get the stag bladder. It's not so difficult. And we know that these preparations work. We can see, you know, I have personal experience of them working. I think anybody who uses the preparations correctly will tell you that they see a response. The, the nature does respond. Uh, and I think Johan Reinecke has said the same in his podcast, how um, he has found the preparations. He can visibly see them working. Um, in order to now change... And, and uh, yeah, what I want to say also is that biodynamics is quite small in this country. Although we are, we are way up there in making the preparations, we're not way up there in using the preparations. Very few people actually use them. And those that use them very often are not using them correctly. Um, so my take on this matter has been let's first use the preparations. We know they work. Let's spread them. Let's become very familiar with them and know how they work. And then let's start doing some, some research on, on, on indigenous plants. Having said that, though, um, there is somebody who, who did some research a few years ago. His name is Peter von Maltitz, and he, in fact, did come up with an alternate um, to one of the preparations using a local animal, um, the skin of a local animal, and uh, an indigenous plant. However, I think these sort of things require a lot of research, a lot of time, probably funding, um, and that hasn't been taken much further. I suppose one thing I can say, though, is we are, in f we are of course, using the horns of our local indigenous breed of cow, which is the Nguni. Um, so we're not importing horns. We're using the horns from, from those breeds as well. Could you uh, tell us more about, was it, um, and that's, that's fantastic to hear about the Nguni, but can you tell us more about uh, Peter von Maltitz and uh, the um, uh, local uh, alternative and the use of what animal skin, what, what plant, anything around that? Yes, sure. So he, he did some research on, on one of the preparations, and that was the, the, um, the yarrow, which goes into the stag's bladder. And um, he came up with the alternative, which is um, a plant which we call mpepo. Um, it's a it's a, a plant that has been used in this in this country by the indigenous folk. Um, they they take the leaves of the plant and they burn it. They dry it and they burn it. And the smoke they wave the smoke around. And the idea is that it 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 chases away evil spirits. Um, the the plant is very fragrant. It's, it's, it has a lot of essential oils in it, um, and it actually has a lovely smell. Apart from anything else, uh, if you if you do burn it, 
Um, so the, the preparation that Peter von Maltitz came up with was using the pepo, the leaf of the, the, the helichrysum plant, and wrapping it in the skin of a dussy. Now a dussy is, is, a, is a little, it's almost like a, it's, it's almost like a rat. It's a, it's a bigger a rat that lives in the, sort of amongst the rocks and in the bushes. Um, so he, his idea was to, to wrap the helichrysum in the skin of the dussy and bury it in the ground for the winter months. And that was a replacement for the yarrow, which is the preparation 502. Hmm. And did anyone find it uh, impactful, successful? I must say I don't, as far as I know, nobody has yet tried it. Uh, over a period of time or used it. So I must admit, I, I don't think it has been taken any further. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so are there any other uh, traditional South African, um, uh, you know, a, a, not equivalents, but parallels to biodynamics, any other um, preparations or astro traditions that you're aware of? Uh, here in again in North America, we use like a we have a, a farmer's almanac tradition that people are familiar with. Is there anything there that um, the locals can relate to in in crossing that bridge to biodynamics? I do tend to try to to bring about bring across the idea that biodynamics is is something for the future. It's a modern method of farming. Um, it it is unfortunately something as soon as if one introduces the idea of biodynamics to people and then they see one is using cow manure and horns there's the immediate response is oh this is what the and the old people used to do this is an old way of farming that we are reintroducing or we re uh we're we finding out again we're finding again and uh, I do want to always try to bring that idea across that it's actually not. It's very, very much something for the future and something which we still are struggling to, to really understand. Um, and it's something new and, and, and exciting. It's, 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 it's a, very, a very modern way of farming. So, um, I mean, we do work with, with, with um, the rural folk a lot. And um, the maybe the you know the farm workers and maybe the the less educated the people who come from farming background and the more indigenous people, and as Johann Reinecke said in his podcast, when we find that always we um, that you know when you work with the biodynamic preparations, the compost, the using of the cow manure, they respond very easily to it. It's not it's not a huge leap of faith that they have to take. Um, uh, as opposed to the sort of more educated um, uh, city folk who who find it a little mm -hmm. bit voodoo like, so from that point of view, it's 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 um, there's a, there's an easy acceptance. But then, of course, there's the next step, which has to which one has to take, which one has to bring across to them that this is something something new. It's not what our what the old folk used to do. It's, it's something completely new and something we need to try to understand consciously with our brains and not with our feeling. Hmm. Are there any um, South African uh, astro traditions that, that uh, you know of? I don't, actually. Um, I know that... that um, 
in South Africa, I mean, there's there's the old the moon calendar, the the idea of planting according to the phases of the moon. I think this has been been going for a very long time and and is quite readily accepted in the gardening world. You know, the home garden and the vegetable mm-hmm. garden planting according to the moon. But the the biodynamic idea of of working according to the constellations and the planets and the stars that's something that that is 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 quite new here. And the lunar calendar is that something that came with uh, the Europeans, or is that something that was that uh, predate predates that um, uh, you know culture? Yeah, I, I'm 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 quite sure that um, the indigenous folk worked according to the 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 moon and probably the stars and the planets as well, but that this was in a very unconscious way. It was a it was a, a, a perceiving. Um, but not in a not consciously um, working within the world of nature, um, but not bringing it into a consciousness and being able to explain it, which is probably why there's very little rec- record of that. Mm-hmm. What calendar do you use? So, in the in the biodynamic association, we we do. Um, publish the calendar every year, the biodynamic planting calendar for the Southern Hemisphere. Um, so uh, we have somebody here who is um, who knows how to do that, and it's based on the on the Maria Tunes idea. The calendar just changed uh, to to be able to so that we can use it in in the Southern Hemisphere. So we have the you know the different days. It's you know, calendar which tells you every single day where the moon is and in which constellation the moon is, and whether it's a root or a fruit or a, um, a leaf day, and um, which days are good for spraying the preparations and so on. So it's very much geared to a biodynamic farmer. Yes, I have a, a copy here from. Oh, I don't have this year's, but I, I have uh, twenty twenty one, and it is it is unique. Um, do you know uh, who is the your calendar keeper? So we have a, a lady called Marissa Gray, who who is able to do this. She's very computer literate as well as being conscious of the of the the, the heavenly spheres, and um, right. she's she puts it together for us every year. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, I'm I have your website up, and I'm uh, you know you know, kind of sitting here salivating and looking at the, the dairy products and the preserves and whatnot. Can you tell us uh, what all you produce at your farm? Yes, sure. So, Bloblomachis um, Kloof is um, being primarily a biodynamic farm. We're also Demeter certified. So, we're, we're a real mixed farm. It's a very small farm with 38 hectares. And we just do just about everything you can imagine here. It's it's a little bit crazy and financially not very very um, um, stable, <laughs> if one can say, or very um, um, good, because everything is in very small scale, and we do a lot of different things. So we have olives, we have a we have cows, and because we have cows, we need the cows in order to have to make our own compost, in order to fertilize the land, and to make the preparations, and. Um, a spin-off of having the cows is um, they pr- have babies and produce milk. So we we harness we harvest the milk and uh, produce some dairy products. 
um, which are either used on the farm or sold. Um, when I came to the farm, there was already a, a, an olive orchard. So the olives are harvested. We make olive oil um, and either sell. We used to, we used to uh, preserve the olives, but now I, I need the oil so, so much. So we, we, have, we uh, make the olive oil and I use those in a range of skin body products that, that we make mm. on the farm as well. We have herbs, we have vegetables, we have fruit, um, we have chickens, we have horses, yeah, pigs, just no, anything you can think of. <laughs> yeah, I hope to visit someday. It looks beautiful. That would be wonderful. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, we, you know, I'm, I'm on the other side of the planet, essentially, and, and what we hear from different places is typically transmitted through the media and, you know, who knows when you can uh, believe what you hear in the media. But from time to time, we hear of uh, the dangers of being a farmer in South Africa. Could you speak to that subject? If there's uh, what uh, truth is there, if any, and what your perspectives on, on that might be? Yes, sure. I think it is very much a media, a little bit sensationalized in the media. I think one has that often, that it sounds a lot worse in another country than it is when you are living in the country. And I think that is the case here. Um, although uh, we do have differences in different regions of the country. So being in the Western Cape, we are still quite blessed um, in that they have, they aren't, there's, there, there really is no violence against farmers here or very little other than the usual thieving and and breaking in and and it's not something which is particularly aimed at farmers i think up north in johannesburg um there it seems to be although i haven't had any personal experience of it but just from hearing it it seems to be a little bit worse in that um one hears of farms having to be surrounded by electric wire and the farmers really do sleeping with guns under their beds um, and that it is a little bit um, more fearful than it is down here in the Western Cape. But, of course, you know, we, we don't hear of, of – I mean, recently there haven't been reports of things happening particularly. And generally these, these, these things come up around election time. It's the, the usual story. Mm. Um, things happen – and then the elections come and go, and then everything goes back to normal. So I would say things are not as bad, although one never knows. Things can change very quickly. Right. Yeah, I guess it all depends on your proximity, is, is how serious it is. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, here, just talking personally on my farm, we live very simply and very open we don't lock things we we quite we don't have a problem walking around at night we feel very safe here so as i say this i'm touching wood and i hope it doesn't change but for the moment that is how we live and we are quite blessed so uh last question i have um is and it and, and feel free to take a moment and and really and think about it and personalize it but why do you do biodynamics Yes, of course. <laughs> um, I, I actually 
very often think I'm astounded that everybody doesn't farm biodynamically and I'm astounded that everybody is not an anthroposophist. It just seems to me that um, what is done is just so logical and self-evident that it seems bizarre that one does not do it or that, that one does not think that way. So I suppose from that point of view, it would be absurd for me to try to not be an anthroposophist or not to think along the lines of anthroposophy and then not to translate that into something practical like biodynamic farming. Um, it's just obvious that this is what one has to do. And I think if one is even to a small extent aware of there being a spiritual world, then there is no other way um, of of working. One one has to work together with the spiritual world, and in order and in farming, that's what we are doing. We are working with. We are be, try, we are becoming conscious of what the spiritual world is about and how they are affecting us and how we can work together with them, and that's what we are doing on our farms. So. Um, that's where I'm at. That's that's how I have to work. I'm and thank you. And anything else you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, perhaps um, just a little bit about the association, if you have some time. Is there time? Absolutely, please. About the association, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm just um, as I said before that although we seem to be quite advanced in the making of the preparations. Uh, we are not so advanced in 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 the farming aspect, in in spreading of biodynamic farming in in South Africa. If we if you compare us to Australia, uh, where Podolinsky uh, initiated biodynamics as well, uh, it spread quite extensively in Australia. There are thousands and thousands of hectares that are farmed biodynamically, and many 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 Demeter certified farms. Whereas in this country. You know, it's a it's a small handful, maybe, of people. Uh, in fact, Demeter certified farms we have three, um, but and people practicing biodynamics is again you could count them probably on two hands. And then um, the added thing is those that are not Demeter certified. Perhaps the practice of biodynamics is not quite is not complete. It's sort of done half heartedly. It's very difficult. Um, it's not the the knowledge is not there. We don't have enough training, and so it's been a difficult time. And although biodynamics has been in this country for seventy odd years, it hasn't really grown, which is a which is a strange phenomenon. Um, it's kind of just stayed where it is. And although there's a lot of interest and people bring a lot of esoteric ideas to the farming, um, it's kind of a little bit stagnant. Um, the 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 problem we've had with farms wanting to become Demeter certified is that the the hurdles are very high. The cost is incredibly incredibly high because we have to pay European prices. Um, mm -hmm. So most people, because our our economy is not so good here anyway, people who are farming are struggling financially anyway, and then to still go for the for the, the certification is impossible. So everybody just sits back and then they don't do things properly. So we, this is one of the biggest challenges we've had in the association is, is how to, to raise the standard of biodynamic farming to, to bring it to, 
to the real thing so that it's real biodynamics. And, and then I think, in fact, that one can see it working. Um, and also to, to have more Demeter farms, to have more certified biodynamic produce locally. Because, of course, those farms that are Demeter certified, apart from myself, are all exporting their products. So you don't see any Demeter products in this country. So you don't see any biodynamic product in this country. Um, it's all being exported. So they are, the, the problem has been for years, how on earth can we change that? And we have started a training apprenticeship program a few years ago uh, where we, ch we train young people. They do a, a course, a registered course. This was a course which we got from, from, from the UK, the Crossfields course. And um, they can qualify as, as a biodynamic farmer and, and the, yeah, and can even work on a biodynamic farm in Europe. It's, it's, it's recognized internationally. But the, the, the problem has still remained that they qualify and they come out and then they need a job. And then there are no biodynamic farms where they can work on. I mean, you know, they have a, have three Demeter farms to choose from to work on. And, and so this also hasn't kind of taken off. Um, and then re about two years ago, Demeter agreed to let us start the Demeter PGS program. And I think that this is, is the answer. I hope it is the answer. It certainly has been successful in the two years that we have doing it. We, we, we're kind of running a pilot program with other countries throughout the world, other countries in a in similar situation to ours where, where the Demeter certification is just way too expensive and, and the farms are not able to achieve that and therefore uh, biodynamics doesn't grow in the country. Um, a country like Argentina, for example, or Colombia, those kind of countries. So we start the PGS program, which is a participatory guarantee system where you have groups of farms working together. They help each other. They learn from each other. And it's kind of uh, based on the idea of farm visits where they visit each other every month. Once a month, everybody goes to one of the farms in the group and they they chat together. They, they walk around the farm and they discuss ways of overcoming problems and and how the farm can reach Demeter standards. Um, and, yeah, I think this has kind of solved the problem of training. You now have on-farm training um, where people are, are, are giving advice, helping each other, working together. And so in these two years where we have been doing this, it has we now have four groups of farms. I think we have about... 40 or 50 farms that are now actively actively working to 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 up their standard of biodynamic farming uh, methods on their farm and and really working to achieve the Demeter standards and possibly have Demeter certification and then to to bring their product onto the local market um for to and yeah, and I mean the spin-off there is that people that will then start seeing the Demeter logo, start seeing product that's labeled as biodynamic, and um, we hope that this will then just just grow it. So that's what we're 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 busy with at the moment. That's fantastic, and I I do think it will resolve 
uh, large portions of the issue of stagnation and adoption. But do you think there are any other issues uh, or, or challenges uh, that are that are causing that that stagnation and adoption that aren't that wouldn't be covered by this PJS program? Yes, um, there is uh, the problem that in this country we don't have any legislation around around labeling of farming products. Well, there's two actually two problems, and they they come from from government and from leadership. The one is that farms have no support at all. We don't have any funding from government for farming, and uh, and. I think everybody knows that that any kind of farming, be it organic or biodynamic or even conventional, is financially very challenging in this in this world we live in at the moment. So there's no support. So financially, it's very difficult. The other problem is that we have no labeling legislation. So um, whether you're organic or not, you can label your product as organic. Whether you're biodynamic or not, you can label your product as biodynamic. Nobody's going to check wow. and nobody in fact cares. So um, so this has, yes, I mean, the number of times I've heard somebody say, why should I bother to become certified if my neighbor is calling his product organic and I know he's not organic uh, and the same with biodynamics. And I think that this has actually held back the progress in this country because, um, you know, there's no support for for there's no there's no support for an organic farm. Never mind biodynamic. If I want to buy seeds, there is nowhere in this country I can get certified organic or biodynamic seed. It's just not just doesn't exist. If I need to buy feed for my animals, there's nowhere in this country I can get certified organic feed for my animals. And simply because there is no demand. So if, if I'm an organic farm, I simply go and buy conventional seeds, I grow them and I label my product as organic, no problem. So there's nobody bothers to to produce the, the raw materials. And yeah, I think that that has been a big, big problem um, in, in bringing about this, this, this situation that we are in here in this country. Yeah, that's enlightening. I was unaware. That's that's got to be a huge challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else you could share with us today, Wendy? I, I w- wanted to maybe talk a little bit about the the uh, Demeter and and what they have done. I don't know if that's of interest to you. I find it quite a no, please. Yeah. So um, I'm sure your listeners are all familiar with Demeter, uh, the brand, the international brand uh, worldwide. And they, they do certification. They've done some incredible marketing, a very well-known brand in Europe, uh, not so well-known in, in, in our countries down south here. But um, what, the, what they have done is they've changed their, their association, used to be an association, and they've become a federation. And what that means is that um, anybody who joins them as a member has – quite a, a lot of say in how they work and how Demeter works. And the reason they did that was to try to support the countries that were not doing so well, like us. Um, so now, anything that Demeter International does, 
actually has to be approved by all the member countries. And every member country has just as much say as any other member country. So um, if Austria has 5,000 Demeter farms and South Africa has three Demeter farms, we have our vote carries just as much weight as the Australian vote, which I find is quite quite forward-thinking and enlightening, enlightened thinking. And um, so, so we actually can now get some support or actually ask some support and we have a voice and although this has only been for a, a, a few years one or two years they're also trying to find their feet in how this federation works but um, already we have seen some results well just with having being able to do the Demeter PGS has has already translated into into um, a positive spin-off in our country that we now have almost 40 farms working towards Demeter, whereas before we only we had very few and nobody knew anything about Demeter. So I just wanted to say a little bit um, uh, about that, which is qu quite quite an amazing way of spreading of, 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 of helping and supporting those countries that are struggling. With the whole biodynamic process, um, and 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 taking, you know, the countries that it's almost like the rich supporting the poor in a way. It's the countries with a lot of Demeter farms are now supporting um, those with very few Demeter farms to try to to um, to help them. Yeah. So I thought I'd bring that across a little bit. No, thank you. It's it's evident that it's it's uh, a need, um, and it's been interesting to watch uh, that um, evolution. And it's certainly one of the uh, motivations behind uh, our forming the International Guild is because it has been centered in in certain uh, geographic regions for uh, you know a century or so. Uh, so yep, it's it it is time to to expand uh, more globally and, and to, to look at these uh, lesser served areas and, and bring them in as equals. So it's exciting and, and I'm looking forward to it. Yes, absolutely. And um, one worries always that this is an another form of colonialism, that one wants to spread something somewhere where it's not wanted. But I think I think the way it is done, uh, you know, it's not forced on anybody. It's just presented, and and when if 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 the if if the question is asked and if the need is there, it can be taken up. If not, it it won't be taken up. So so I think it's 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 the it's the way to go. Definitely, mm -hmm. yeah. Wendy, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'll put your uh, website, your, your farm name that I, I, I can't properly produce. I'll put the uh, link in the show notes. And again, uh, thank you so much for joining us and look forward to visiting you in person someday. Thank you, Will. Thank you. I look forward as well. And well done with your podcast.